Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good evening. This is Darren Fatman McDuffie welcoming you to Fat Man Radio. Today is actually my first show, and I'm interviewing Diane Hunter. Uh, Diane's book is called Food Smart, Understanding Nutrition in the 21st Century. So got to tell you guys a quick story. I was uh, driving home today and thinking about the radio show, and uh, something flashed in my mind from about seventh grade. Um, and, and I'll have to explain something to you about seventh grade. When I was in seventh grade is when I first started playing basketball, and I was this goofy kid. I couldn't really put one foot in front of the other. And I, was, um, I wasn't a starter on the middle school basketball team. And I would always sit on a bench and never get into games. But one of the sayings that we used to have was, did you get off the nut? And get off the nut means, did you actually score? So when we would go to an away game, we would uh, come back to school the next morning. And my friends would run up to me and say, did you get off the nut? Did you get off the nut? Meaning, did I, did I score a basket in the, in the game? And I would always say no. So the reason why that came to me is because this is my first radio show. And I abs- obviously I'm getting off the nut because it's my first uh, first radio show. So um, this has been a long time coming for me. I'm very passionate about nutrition and fitness and helping a lot of people because I've had my struggles uh, in the years that uh, uh, in the past years. And I know a lot of people out there are probably struggling with their weight and and struggling with just trying to find the answers to a lot of questions. And there can be a lot of conflicting things out there. So part of what I wanted to do is just have this radio show for you, for the, the listeners out there, so they can have a platform where they can call in and ask people who have who are very well researched, who have the knowledge about the questions they have so you can be steered in the right direction, right direction. because, again, I believe there's a lot of propaganda out there. So, again, help me welcome to the show uh, Diana Hunter. And, again, the book is called Food Smart, Understanding Nutrition in the 21st Century. So let me bring Diana on. Hey, Diana, are you there? Hey, Darren, I sure am. Okay. Thanks so um, much for having me on. Thanks for for coming. I know you know sometimes people don't like to be the guinea pig, but I guess I I have this saying. Uh, my girlfriend, uh, whenever we try something new or food, I always call her the guinea, meaning she, she's the guinea pig <laughs> or the first person to actually uh, try something. So you're you're the guinea pig, but I'm glad that you um, decided to to come on the show and uh, and just share some of your knowledge today with us. Great, great to be on. Yeah. So can you, um, I always like to share people's journey. Can you kind of tell us your journey, how you got into uh, into nutrition and how you went about writing the book? Sure. Um, started way, way, way back when, when I didn't know a whole lot about nutrition and I was in my early 20s. And I was working for a major type house in Miami, Florida at the time. And I was working about, let's say, 16-hour days, <laughs> come in when it was dark out and leave when it was dark out. And I was drinking a lot of coffee, I'm sure you can imagine, with sugar in it and oh, yeah. um, smoking some cigarettes and doing what I thought would be healthy nutritionally by eating trail mix. And all of a sudden I started passing out repeatedly. Well, I came to find out that I was allergic to almonds, raisins, peanuts, and sugar, um, which are kind of definite components of trail mix, and um, my body was basically shutting down from, you know, heavy caffeine, the smoking, not enough rest, and then improper food, in my case, because of the allergies. So I started researching. 
I had a doctor, you know, talk with me for a while and tell me, here, I want you to try protein foods. you got to stop the sugar, obviously, because you're allergic to it, cane sugar, and take a look at some of the other facets of your diet. And, you know, I'm going to send you to a nutritionist is what they did at the time. And the nutritionist sat me down and she said, okay, well, we're going to have you eat this and this and this. And then I remember one specific thing she added was graham crackers, sugar-coated graham crackers. And I said, but I'm, I'm allergic to sugar, and why would you give me that? And she said, you have to have some fun food. And I thought, hmm. And after I tried it her way for a while, it didn't work. I ended up trying it my own way. And I ended up eating good proteins, you know, very, very lean meat, small amounts, fish, whole eggs once in a while, nothing too crazy, and very low-fat cheeses, and then very good quality whole grain cereals and things of that nature. Whole grain, and meaning with the fiber in them, <laughs> the whole shebang. <Right. laughs> and it turned my life around. I felt phenomenal. I've always been a relatively thin person. I run around, you know, 117 pounds. For five, four and a half, that's fine for me. And um, it's just a thing where I never went back again. And I'm very fortunate and thank goodness every day because when my father ended up with third stage, late third stage, early fourth stage, aggressive invasive bladder cancer, the knowledge, the schooling, and the research of having such fortunate experiences to work with researchers all over the world to put Food Smart together, which I later did, definitively helped to save my dad's life. So your dad is he's he's still living now. Oh, he's 79 last year, uh, last week he was tested 8 years clear of bladder cancer. Wow. Wow, that's yep. great. That's great. Yeah, University of Miami likes him. He's like their miracle, right. miracle child. That, <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of crazy how um no one thinks about nutrition until they get a health problem or it's, you know, in my case, it was my mom that got breast cancer that kind of steered me in this direction to want to take better care of my health. And for some people, I don't know if that they ever get that push or that nudge to get into to health because they may not have, you know, somebody close to them that, that passed away or got sick or, you know, in your case, had, you know, their own health problems. Yes. I hate to call it scared to life. Yeah, never heard that one, but that's a good term. I'm going, to, I'm going to borrow that one from you. Okay. So, so let's get into the book. Your book is called Food Smart, and I like to look at it as a food bible because it covers everything from A to Z. It's it's an awesome book, and um, as I was telling you before we actually got on air, I wish it was one of the books that I read when I was earlier uh, earlier in uh, my journey as far as following nutrition because it again goes through just about uh, everything. So. Uh, again, it's an awesome book, and, and to your credit of putting all of this together, and I, I imagine it took a lot of research in, in order to put something like this together. Yes, thank you, and thank you for the thought there. It did. It took me, um, during the time my dad was ill, et cetera, five years to coordinate working with the researchers globally to put it together. Okay. okay. It was a definitely right. long-term project. Yeah. So before we get into the book and before I start ans asking you some questions, if there's anybody out there who wants to call in and ask Diana a question, the number is 646-716-9371. And once you dial into Switchboard, you will uh, it will ask you to press 1, and then I can see you on the Switchboard, and I can actually bring you on. So, again, the number is 646-716-9371 if you have a question for a, either my, myself or Diana. So, 
let's jump right into this, Diana. So one of the questions that kind of stuck out to me, and I, I know this question because I've been studying nutrition a lot, but I wanted, you know, for you to kind of embark on the listeners, that um, why do most people eat what they eat? <laughs> Taste is the first thing. <laughs> um, that's the truth. Most people eat what they eat because they enjoy it, and it's mm-hmm. it's very often driven i always i always tell people mind over flavor that is one of my favorite sayings um some people will eat a different direction as you had brought up when they're scared to life they will change what they eat on a general basis and people also tend to eat the same foods or same families of foods over and over again so sometimes that's by personal choice Sometimes it's kind of habitual depending on how we were raised. If, you know, you're, you know, of course going to eat culturally. Most people right. eat culturally. Um, if that's their standard for their culture and or religion or both. Um, so flavor, upbringing, culture, there are a lot, of, a lot of facets when you look at that. Another set of those variables you read about in the book. Right. So let me ask you a question. Is it hard for us to I know for me, I grew up on a, a typical Southern diet. I'm an African-American. My diet consisted of my mom would make barbecue chicken, macaroni and cheese, things, you know, things of that nature. And I found that very hard when I started to put on weight in my, my late 30s. I just found it so hard to break away from those things. And then now I'm noticing that whenever I go home and visit home, it's hard for me to eat those things. So how hard is it for people to kind of break that cycle of eating the things that they once they once ate? Well, I think that um, it's interesting that you say that in a typical Southern diet. I mean, I grew up on those things, too. Those are like comfort foods there. <laughs> They're yeah. in their comfort <laughs> really, foods. Really. You know, good mac and cheese. And let me say this. First of all, as far as breaking away, that's going to be individualized. I like, and when I've you know toured and showed people, I and mean, if you go on Google and you'll see me making oatmeal raisin cookies all over the country on TV, I tried to make something that was lower in fat, lower in sugar, lower in cholesterol, higher in fiber. We can do that even with our macaroni and cheese. We can get, you know, some people say, okay, I don't want to go completely whole wheat or completely another whole grain with my macaroni, with my pasta. So maybe they do a 50-50 mix. You can actually get some that are like half refined and half unrefined. And then add to it something, let's say you're going to put a, a cheese, not a cheese powder. There are there are great products out there that you can try. Cabot makes a 75% reduced fat cheese that melts nicely. I'm sure they love that boost, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. I... It's something that gives a person the opportunity. Now picture that you put whole grain pasta and then you put the lower fat cheese in there. And instead of using a whole milk, let's say that you put a little bit of a 1% milk in there just to help make the cheese diverse and go diversify throughout the, the noodles. And then maybe you add something like a spread that's low cholesterol or helps to balance out your cholesterol levels, just a small amount to help smooth the consistency. Put that together and you would be surprised how many people tell me, wow, you turned this food that I usually think of as my overly fatty comfort food into something more tangible for my health. So there are options and a lot of it is about learning. So it's not that hard 
if you're willing to put the work in, and I tell everybody, there's no one more worth it than you. <laughs> right. I always tell people that you have to not think about what you're giving up. You have to think about what you're gaining because a lot oh, of people. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because a lot of people they um they think about okay, I'm giving up this, and our minds are already focused on what we have to give up instead of what we're gaining. And there's so many options out there, like you mentioned that. It's not like you're giving up anything. I know um, my girlfriend and I will do some of the paleo stuff, which they have great paleo desserts. Um, and there's, a, there's just a whole lot of other stuff out there. So I think people shouldn't just just concentrate on what they have to give up if they want to gain their health. That's now, a, a good perspective that you have there, Darren. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so the next question is how should we look at food? I know for me, in the past, um, when I was struggling with my weight, I looked at food as just something to shove down my throat to satisfy my stomach. But how, in your perspective, from a from a nu- nutritional perspective, how should people look at food? They should look at food in the facet that what can it do for me? What is it going to do for me first? And then mm-hmm. second, how can I make it the most flavorful and still maintain idea number one. If we look at food, it's interesting because I'll have everyone from students to elderly people contact me and say, you know, I want to change some things, but how am I supposed to see something different? Like you're asking, what am I supposed to be looking for? And I'll say, okay, it's easy. Take a look at the nutrition that you're getting from this food. You've got a white bleached flour bread. And then look at this other one, and it has true whole grains. And then let's look at a third option. You have a bread machine and you could make some yourself. Here's A, B, and C. Which one do you think is going to do the best things for your body? And it's interesting because then after they change and they start feeling better about themselves and how they physically and mentally feel, sleeping better, less stomach problems, etc., they often say, you know, when I got to like the weekend and people were eating something that I considered a junk food, they'll tell me, they say, I had the option to indulge in something that wasn't as healthy as what I've been putting in, and I I just didn't want to do it. I wanted to, like, protect myself. And I find that very interesting because it's young people all the way to the elderly who are starting to get on the bandwagon, so to speak, and follow a better nutritional plan. I keep telling everybody countrywide, and worldwide, we don't need health reform. Uh, we need health reform, not health care reform. Because if we are able to reform our health, we're not going to need anywhere near the amount of health care. We're already exactly. doing self care, which I know you're big on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's it's big. We we do nothing for in this country. I think for preventative care, we we teach people nothing like. I've always said that uh, if I would have had someone to sit down with me and teach me nutrition, then I wouldn't have been in the fix I was in in my 30s. I just think that, as we discussed earlier on, that we learned, I learned my eating habits from my mom. And the only thing I can say great about my mom was that my mom always stressed vegetables. She always stressed for us to eat vegetables, and that's the one good thing. But we didn't. We didn't eat bad, but I think a lot of people, they learn their eating habits and they take those eating habits with them into into adulthood. Yes, they do. That's what I was saying about the familial pattern. Sometimes mm-hmm. people think it's hereditary, and I'm like, it's more like you got it from your family eating pattern, not from your heredity, heredity per se, which is interesting because what you're saying, even with your mom and everyone, 
we're all still learning. Nutrition's in its infancy. But knowing about things and learning about them is the key to all of it. You mentioned earlier the paleo diet, but I get a lot of people calling me asking, what do you think about this, what do you think about this? There's one arena of that diet that I think is a serious concern, and that is that when you tell people who, as you and I were just discussing, they will have the tendency to, you're saying, how do they eat, why do they eat what they eat? They get into a a drill, a pattern of eating the same thing day after day. Even if they're getting something healthy, you grab an apple, they might tend to do it day after day and take it to work. Now, if they do that with fish and they're getting tuna, particularly like a white albacore, and they're eating that mixture that I read about for the paleo diet where you can mix in, you know, a protein with what have you, if they're Mm -hmm. eating a fish like that repetitively five, six, seven days a week, especially if it's a woman in the childbearing years, you might be looking for trouble. Yeah, so can you, tu- can you, you have touch to on learn. that? I was, I was actually going to ask you that. Can you kind of touch on that, the, the, the mercury issue um, and, the, and the things around? Because I know a lot of people who tend to stray away from the red meats will move a lot towards the fish, and they're not aware of the you know the mercury levels in the fish. Can you kind of touch on that? Yeah, mercury, you, you want to be cautious with that. It's, it's like when I'm traveling up north and, and you go to Maine and they're like, okay, let's take a look at the listing. And there, you can actually go online to NOAA and some of the others. And you can find the links, which I know a couple of them have, have changed. Let me see if I can find you on here. And what they do is they make a listing. I think you can even go to CEPA. And when you, when you go on those listings, basically just Google Type in for the most current one for 2013 what the mercury ratios are in fish and where they've most currently been tested. Because a lot of fish, especially from lakes and rivers, have much higher mercury levels and other pollutants too. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, catfish is one that you really don't have to worry so much about. It, I don't it, like catfish. <laughs> you, don't, you don't like catfish? And and, no. and you, where was your family from again? <laughs> We're from South Carolina, but I don't know. I've never South been Carolina. a big catfish fan, yeah. You're not so. a big catfish fan. No. Um, shark meat, and I, I can remember a point in the Keys, since you're local Florida, where huh. if, if you intake a lot of shark meat, that can carry a lot of mercury. So that's wow. one of them. Tuna, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, the white albacore has more in it more mercury uh, on the whole than the standard chunk light tuna. There's something else you want to look at, too. Um, I have a listing of them. I think it's on page 92 in the book, if I'm correct. And it shows that shark, swordfish, tilefish, king mackerel, and some species of fresh, frozen, and canned tuna are higher in mercury. That white albacore one is higher than the canned light, as I mentioned. Yeah. So you you want to you want to make sure that those are ones that you eat in moderation. All right, you're spot on because I'm looking at page 92, and you are exactly right. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've referred that one before, so that's something yeah. that you want to take a peek at. You definitely so, want to look. 
Yeah, so while we're talking about the mercury and the tuna, um, I had a question. I actually did a Facebook event for this, and someone wanted me to ask you about the um, – I know that there's some stories been going around. I've, I read some stuff on this about the arsenic in, in chicken. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, they had some information about that. Um, I don't know what the status currently is on that, um, mm-hmm. but they were taking a look at it. You'd have to you'd, again. You'd have to look, and I recommend that people go to the .edu sites and make sure it's a valid one and compare more than one. And and let's take a peek. Let's take a peek. Um, let me see if I can find you one. They had one yeah. on NPR. I see that they put on there. Yeah. Um, what I gathered when I was reading was um, that it was in organic chicken. Um, it can it can't be used. But if it's non-organic, meaning commercial chicken, they use the arsenic, which is uh, in the feed for antibiotic uh, for antibiotic principles. So um, it, what I gathered again was just that the organic chicken is the one that you kind of want to steer towards if you're going to eat, eat the chicken. Right. Most recently, they've had me looking at the issues with the lead in rice. <laughs> so oh, we've my. had. We've had some other things going on <laughs> yeah, to take lead, a peek at. It was lead, it was arsenic in rice, and also I believe it was uh, the article that I read was talking about uh, arsenic in apple juice as well. So yes, it's, I, it's a lot of stuff out there. And, and again, uh, never go off the cuff with whatever you hear about. Make sure that you get the most current information. That's what I tell everyone. Don't just come out and say some people will come come on the air and just tell you, oh, yes, this is this. But even as we speak, someone can be posting something new who is in a big research arena and has a good sample of what they're testing and can back it up. So you always want to try to get the most up-to-the-minute information. Compare your sources. Don't just go on the Internet and read anything. Read as much as possible and try to find the most renowned sources that have a backing to them. I like a lot of the different colleges across the country they really do a decent job. I like samples of over a thousand when you're dealing with people. Mm-hmm. In the tens or hundreds of thousands, make me even happier. <laughs> um, so that's an important facet. Also, you were asking if you want to take a look at the National Resources Defense Council. They have, and that's at www.nrdc.org. They have a health effects and mercury guide. And you can also check uh, the various bodies of water there. Their condition can be uh, seen at the EPA just by going to epa.gov. So you can find out if they've done any recent testing. Okay. All right, so let's move along because I I only scheduled 45 minutes for the show, and there's a couple questions that I wanted to get to that I think the audience would um, would want to know the answers to. I wanted when I read when I started reading the book and I came upon this I wanted to cheer and I want to ask you this and you said in the book you say avoid dieting whenever possible and tell us the reason why you said that. It's interesting I end up writing me myself and food about that. <laughs> avoid <laughs> dieting whenever possible. Here's a good explanation for that. I don't know how old you are. <laughs> I'm in my fifties already. Um, okay. They had an old chiffon margarine commercial where the lady says it's not nice to fool Mother Nature, um, the actuality is you can't fool her. You can't trick her. 
So if you, I mean, think about how many of us know someone who went on kind of a crash diet, so to speak, and they came to us the first week and said, I lost seven or eight or ten pounds. And the second week they come and say, I lost seven pounds. And the third week they say, hey, I lost four pounds. And the fourth week they go, I only lost a half a pound this week. And you're like, hmm, well, have you changed? Have you gone back to eating those chocolate donuts? You know, what are you doing different? And they say, nothing. I don't understand it. It's called adaptive thermogenesis. The body is an incredibly intelligent machine. What happens is it rightfully starts to latch on and hold on tighter to what it has, protecting you, protecting your nerves and your brain and your organs, all of your organs. It says to itself, okay, it feels like it's on the top of a mountain stranded somewhere with no food. What's it going to do? It's going to go into protective mode. So a much better, uh, in my in my experience uh, with people in general, has been that when you learn how to change your diet as a whole versus dieting, you lose weight perhaps a little bit more slowly but much more permanently, much more healthily. The people right. lose it. They learn about the foods. It's all a synergy, Darren. You you have to eat correctly. You have to get good sleep. If you're not to bed by 10:30 at night, and all those nurses and doctors working overnight, please forgive me. It's harder for you to maintain weight because all the chemicals in your body. If you read the inside of a prednisone or prednisolone insert pack, it shows you. You know, you can navigate your way through there. How the body does certain things every hour after that 10:30 point. And what it does basically is keep our immune system and our hormones, et cetera, in check that help keep us at at a good weight, at a weight that's more healthy for us. Helps our body to utilize its energy sources most efficiently. So, yeah, it's, it's really weird because I um, I don't know if you ever heard of T.S. Wiley. She has a book called uh, Lights Out, Sleep, Sugar, Survival, uh, where the fact that the light, the many hours that we're staying up past uh, the time that you mentioned, um, where it, it affects our insulin and that insulin is, is going higher and higher and there are a lot of people who are overweight because they are not getting enough sleep at night. You know, we're staying up longer hours, staying in front of computers. It's an interesting book if you haven't um, read it before. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's move on. The I wanted to talk about this because I, I've heard this in a documentary that I was watching, and uh, it's the and you mentioned this uh, I think maybe two or three times in the book the sugar the fat and the salt combination and and why is that so viable why I think everybody has a problem with that I know I mean I'm not a sugar holic but I do like sweets um, I know when I was in my uh, you know in my Early years when I was struggling with everything, I loved that sugar fat uh, salt combination. The pizza, you know, the wings. The uh, Papa John's used to have this um, uh, frosting bread or something. I can't remember what it was, but I used to love that stuff. And it was all sugar fat and salt. So can you kind of explain that that combination? In high proportions, that's a triple whammy for you because you're raising levels in the body of everything you shouldn't. And it can lend us, you know, toward getting diseases that we otherwise wouldn't have if we 
swap those foods out for healthier natural foods. Um, our bodies are, you know, more designed, I believe, for eating fruits and vegetables and natural things. I'm, I'm always telling my family, I want to eat a salad or I want to eat fruits and vegetables. I don't really feel as alive if I'm not eating something that was grown. Uh, yet we will take all these processed things, and also you have to think about the fact that when you have the sugar, the salt, and the fat mixed together, it very frequently comes along with chemical additives, such as preservatives and flavorings and colors and all these other things. And your body has to process those out. So to begin with, it's a flavor thing. That mind over flavor starts coming back to you because those are, in their own sense, all of them comfort foods. You look at that and you're like, oh, I'm working hard and this tastes really good to me. Again, it brings you back to the idea that having a sugar-fat-salt combo might not be so bad if we used way less sugar, way less fat, and way less salt to make something. Hence, I started doing those cookies all over the country, trying to come up with something that had less of each one. We have to look at the fact that each of those, in great quantity on a regular basis, will have health effects that are negative for us. And reducing them will do the opposite, will help us. And also open up our opportunity to, when we're hungry, replace it with something that's more healthy. Right. I think we got a question on the line. I'm going to go ahead and ask you one more question, then I'll bring the caller on. Um, So we just talked about sugar, fat, and and, and the salt combination. Um, Recently, I'm just trying to figure out what side of the line you're on. So recently, you... uh, uh, the fat controversy, saturated fats. I know in the book there's um, some things mentioning saturated fats, and there's been some some controversy around the whole saturated fat thing. Some people say saturated fats are good. Some people are saying saturated fats are bad. Have you kind of changed your perspective with regards to, I know you wrote the book in 2009, I believe it was? Yes. And recently that's been in the, the forefront as far as saturated fats, things like coconut oil, you know, beef towel being better for us than once butter, you know, being better for us than, than um what we initially thought. Excellent question, Darren. Um my perspective and I bring this up when I'm teaching classes all the time, as far as fat, I get a lot of people, a lot, that come to me and say, You know what? I have cut out all trans fat and all sat fat out of my diet and I'm like, Whoa, hold on. Even olive oil, which we know is heart healthy and has a lot mm-hmm. of benefits for us, has saturated fat in it. Lowering sat fat, great goal. Way low, great goal. No sat fat, not a good idea. <laughs> Our body's going to need some of that. And mind you, there's nothing animal associated with olive oil. It's actually a fruit. So I tell tell people, go for good fats. Let's go for good fats. Get them from avocados. Get them from nuts and seeds. As far as the coconuts, coconut oil, it works for a lot of people. Um, It's higher in the fat. It may be that it's better off for people who are, they tease me all the time, like, well, what are we going to have if we're on a stranded island or something like that? What would you have, they ask? <laughs> and I'm like, well, if I didn't have coconuts, yeah, okay, probably sunflower seeds and water. Those squirrels are not stupid. But, yeah, I mean, you get a lot of nutrients in those, right? Right, right. right. But you, know, you look at a coconut, it has the coconut water, the coconut milk, the coconut meat. The water inside is completely sterile before being opened. They have a lot of good nutrients there's no question in that nut um 
if we're supposed to eat it while we're just sitting and not utilizing our bodies in the way that someone else might, uh, I really don't know. It's going to become individualized. It becomes individualized. I have tried it. I've had good results with it using it in different facets, using it for my skin. Um, I took some on tour with me and tried it. It uh, seems to do very well for me. I did not have increases in my blood cholesterol when I when I tested. So, I, I mean, I think it depends how much you're going to do each day, et cetera. That's a yeah, I always thing to I mean, look I'm at. A, I'm a big fan of coconut oil. I love it. Like you, I use it for cooking. I use it to put it on my skin. But um, I always tell people that it's not for everyone because there's something. And that's what I think the big trick that is played on a lot of people is that we always we come out with this thing and say, oh, coconut oil is, is, is so great for everyone. But there are certain things that some people just don't tolerate well, you know, and coconut oil could be one of those things. And it's up to you to kind of try it and see the the reaction um, that you mm-hmm. get from it. So I'm not one of those people who can just say, you know, coconut oil is going to be the best thing for you. But I'm always one of those people who said, you know, let's look at this on an individual basis. Some people may not do well with it, so... Right. I'm mainly, people ask me all the time, I'm mainly an olive oil girl. I like the olive oil. I like olive oil, too. I, I like it for salads. I'm not much yeah. with it for cooking, but for salads, I think it's great. You usually mix a little, you know, olive oil and vinegar together and make your own salad dressing. So. Oh, you'd like salad on a salad, then. You take all the vegetables <laughs> that you put in the salad and put a little apple cider vinegar, a little tiny bit of olive oil in there, mix that baby up and just pour it on your salad, you'll be like in heaven. It's delicious. Yeah, I'm a big fan of ACV, apple cider vinegar. Oh, my there God. There you go. <laughs> All right, so let's see if we can take a question here. I'm going to bring this Sounds person good. on the air. Caller from the 803, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, Darren, this is Kim Archie, and I'm calling from... South Carolina. Hey, Kim, how are you? What's your question for a, uh, Diana? Um, I just was listening to her about the olive oil. I'm a great fan of the olive oil as well. Um, I cut, I don't use regular oil. I think I'll never go that pattern again, but I was just listening to her with the, um, having some type of oil um, versus not having any, but that's what I did. I just weaned myself to olive oil, and I, for some reason at first I thought I wouldn't like it, but now I just, I love it. <laughs> it's the <laughs> best thing like that me. I could ever, I could ever done for myself. I just, I listened to Darren with the coconut oil. I've never tried the coconut oil, but I just use olive oil. And I kind of like marinate my fish or my chicken in olive oil, and I saute it in Pam olive oil. Mm-hmm. And I'll never go back to eating fried foods again. Well, that's right. good. Healthier. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I don't know if you wanted to expand on anything, Diane, or did you have a, another question, Kim? No. Well, Kim, I can tell you this. This is something that I have done. People will sometimes tell me, which, by the way, she makes a great point too, Darren, about marinating, just marinating in general. If you marinate meats and fish before you cook them, particularly if you're putting them under a broiler or on a grill, it helps to reduce their carcinogenic potential, cancer-causing potential of Mm -hmm. having what drips down and then the smoke comes back up as these 
detailed chemical names, we'll put it that way, Kim, but to make it simplistic mm-hmm. for you, it's it's a good idea to marinate any of your meats beforehand. Um, with doing fish or something in a pan, I often take the salmon or the catfish or cod or whatever it is I'm having, and I have found that if you take some water, like I'll put, let's say I put a little bit of water with the olive oil in the bottom of a pan, and I don't heat it too high, okay? And I will, because you don't want to seriously denature the oil. I prefer to use olive oil afterwards. But if I do Uh use it, I'll put just a little bit of olive oil in the pan with water. And then I kind of almost poach my fish. And then I'll put, you know, like some onions in there and a little bit of turmeric on the fish. And then put the lid on and kind of let it steam through it. So it's slow cooking and low cooking. And, Mm -hmm. wow, it's so absolutely tender and juicy when it's done. It's amazing. And people tell me, hey, thanks for that tip because now I'm doing less olive oil and it's helped my weight too. Yeah, it's really helped my weight because I was uh, 378 last May of 2012. And I'm following Kim on Facebook because she knows what she's doing. (laughs) So how many pounds have you lost, Kim? (laughs) Uh, actually, I've lost 195 pounds. Wow. wow. Good He's, for you. Yeah. yeah. You look great, too. I've seen you on Facebook. You look Thank great. You. Keep up Thank the work. You. Uh, uh, I hope you were listening earlier, too, Kim, about the avoid dieting whenever possible, that kind of thing. You've changed your diet. And then I had a lady who was in similar situation as yourself, and she came to an event I had, and she said, do you think I should get a surgery to keep me from eating anymore, to reduce my stomach size. And I said, absolutely not. Let your body level out. Look how far you've come. Once it's readapted exactly. itself, you'll continue to lose. I, I started, you know, when I was overweight, I had health issues from inflammation, from having degenerative arthritis in my knees, and I was frustrated, and I went, approached my doctor about having surgery, and she was like, absolutely not. And I just... My good cholesterol was going bad. I'm lucky I didn't become diabetic, so I just I really dodged a lot of bullets, and you know, I'm not can't go back that route. So it's I can't you know eating bad things. I won't do that again because it makes me feel bad, and I don't want that feeling. And there are just so many good healthy things that I have acquired, and my mouth only wants to taste that. So. You know, I, I don't have a desire to go back to anything bad because there's just so many good, healthy things to eat. And just by eating healthy and eating right, my mind just started, it really started back functioning 100% because I'm the, I could remember things. And, you know, when being overweight and just I was tired all the time, I couldn't function well. Mm-hmm. And, Right. Once I got myself together, it just everything just perked up because I can just basically go all day, you know, not being tired, exercising, doing different things, and you know that's what I was accustomed to. But you know now it's it's great. Kim, I'm You're- gonna I'm have to cut you off real quick. We got like five minutes left in the show, and I wanted to kind of touch on like one or two questions. But I thank you for okay. calling in. Okay. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. All right, so we got five minutes in the show. I should have did this show a little bit longer. I thought 45 minutes would be enough. Um, let's, two things I want to touch on before the show actually ends, um, Diana. <clears throat> one is food labels. And one of the things that stuck out to me in your book was the fact that sometimes 
ingredients, I believe you call them sub-ingredients, aren't actually listed on the label. And how, how common is that and how common is mislabeling of foods uh, out there? Wow. Well, it's kind of a shot in the dark with the mislabeling. How common is it? Mm, can't control everybody, but mm-hmm. they do the best they can. Um, mislabeling, it depends. When you say mislabeling about accidental type errors, <laughs> typographical mm-hmm. errors, or you're saying, you know, mislabeling like something just got forgotten, uh, it's pretty right. common. It's pretty common. From what I understand from studies that I read, it happens relatively frequently. Um, as far as the sub-ingredients on the food labels, let's say that you have beta-carotene that's being added to butter. Do you ever notice butter is really kind of white sometimes? Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that because <laughs> I remember at a chapter in your book, they were saying that they add certain chemicals to the butter because the cows right. aren't able to eat uh, grass. So can you, um, can you kind right. of explain that? Right, no, it's the winter Right. The animals are not having access to the plants that usually help them to make the beta carotene and, and hence have the the butter turn the color that it turns. They can legally add a color enhancement, natural color enhancement there, and it does not have to be listed on the ingredient label as of the time of the book. Um, so you're going to have some instances where these kind of hidden sub-ingredients exist and if you have concerns the best thing to do is a read the complete listing of what we have in the book and b you know keep up on it take a look keep going into the internet with the resources that i provide and follow them and find out about it type in different questions and just keep yourself educated because things are changing so rapidly in nutrition as a whole yeah you're right um can i keep you longer than 45 minutes because i got like one or two questions you certainly can okay cool all right, so um, one of the other things I wanted to touch on was um, just, uh, and I don't know how you want to take this, uh, acrylamides and aflatoxin. The aflatoxin is probably one of the reasons why I quit eating peanut butter because I, I always thought peanut butter was healthy and I was always into it. And then I was hearing a lot about aflatoxins and the labeling and how many parts per million or billion the government allows and how safe is that. Can you talk about that? Well, I do know this much. They have done a lot with aflatoxins in recent years to, um, you know, and they basically what those are so people know, it, they're, they're toxins that are produced by a mold. And usually um, you know, people say it's in nuts, peanuts. nuts are Peanuts are actually legumes to begin with, and the aflatoxins that are toxins are known to cause cancer in animals. So they, you know, worry about the potential changeover for human beings. But they've learned how to more carefully handle the aflatoxins to a point where they feel that the risk has been minimized quite quite well, okay? Um, they say that some of the ways that you can reduce potential aflatoxin ingestion is by looking at your nuts look at them if they look like they have mold on them if they have different color variations where they're discolored and it looks really unusual to you if they're really shriveled up and or moldy at the same time those are things you want to do you want to look at them and while they recommend that we only buy like major brands of nuts and you know nut butters that too, as you see, we've had some major recalls for things, but not necessarily because of aflatoxin. They were for other things. Right. So 
making sure, and, and I tell people, try to get it as fresh as possible. As fresh as possible and really take a look. Look at the, the nuts or the peanut butter or what have you and smell it. And you know, look at the mold, look at color, any, any of those potentials. If they look like they're normal and they're whole and they smell good and they taste okay, you're probably all right. Cool, cool. The ones, um, the ones that you want to look for, peanuts and peanut butter, corn can have aflatoxin, wheat, tree nuts like pecans, uh, and oil uh, seeds like cottonseed I, oil. I know peanuts was a big one, and then I knew, knew corn was a big one, which my body doesn't really handle corn that well, so I've kind of given that up. Um, so that is, it's, it's good that you mentioned that. The last one I want to get into is just sweeteners. Um, you went into uh, sweeteners uh, in the book, and what are some of the, the best the best sweeteners? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I am allergic to cane sugar. So when I talk to people about sweetening, the first thing I usually ask them is, can you meet the quota of sweetening things with fruit? If you're really, really looking for something sweet, can you eat fruit instead of having, per se, a candy bar each and every time? Or a donut or something of that nature that's really going to hit it for their sweet tooth? Sometimes people are learning to to change over, as Kim probably would have told you, um, Mm -hmm. and and make a choice Uh that's not just going to give us empty calories, but will give us nutrients on top of it and satisfy the sweet tooth at the same time. Um, most people, you know, come to me and ask me, okay, what about like Splenda? Is Splenda good? Splenda is known sucralose, which interestingly enough this evening I saw a chicken that was baked and one of the ingredients about halfway down was sucralose. Which oh, my God. <laughs> so I was like, okay, that's, I said to my husband, that's an interesting one. Um, um, I gather as a sweetener or something else. Um, that's basically where they take a sugar molecule and they pop three hydrogens off the end and replace them with chlorine molecules. Uh, it could, you know, be the lesser of any evils um, and a good option for people. It becomes a personal choice issue. Right. Uh, so saying what's the best, mm, I look today, I mean, knowing a little bit closer to how old you are now, um, back in the days when we had chewing gum when we were kids, and now I look at some of these gums, and there are a number of them that have six and seven alternative sweeteners in them. Exactly. You'll have mixtures with acetylphane, potassium, and aspartame, and sucralose, and, and then sorbitol, and maltitol, and mannitol all mixed into one gum. Oh, my God. You know what? One of the things that really bugs me is when I'm in a restaurant, and I see people dumping uh, Splenda in their tea or coffee or anything. Sometimes I, I, it, it just, I just have to hold myself back and tell and just say, let it, let it be, Darren, let it be, because well, and, they and know not again, what they it's do. personal choice. I mean, if yeah, yeah. I'm allergic to the white cane sugar, so people ask me all the time. They're like, oh, if you have a coffee, don't you need sugar? Don't you need saccharin? Don't you need something else? And I'm like, no, <laughs> because I just don't, I don't have that, that feeling that I need that to be sweet. A lot of people really want something to have sweetness, and if you're diabetic and or allergic to something, you may need something at some point that's just going to help you, and maybe the consistent fruit-type idea doesn't cut it for you. So, you know, to each his own, and again, it's going to become a personal choice issue. Yeah, I'm a big user of, I use uh, Stevia, and uh, we will use 
you know, if we, we sweeten anything, we, we tend to use raw honey. Um, and just like you, I'm not allergic to cane sugar, but I notice when I do eat it, I, I get bloated. I just don't, I just don't tolerate it well. That, cane sugar, and also processed sugar. Yeah, you and know, the honey, be careful with kids under a year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Botulin, that. Botulin, toxin, yeah, that can be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's the last question, and I'm going to let you go for the night. Um, best food, in your opinion, conventional or organic, and why? Uh, better food, you mean? Best of the two? Conventional best or organic? Best of the two, yes. Well, I'll tell you what. That's that's a very interesting and very good question. Uh, because let's say that you are in some little area of the United States, which I've traveled the entire country, and you find... Uh, a little mom and pop place or a little you know franchise here or there that has food that's not listed as organic, not labeled as organic, but it's produced in a way as I mentioned through the book that is equivalently good or even better than maybe an organic food that is labeled and listed as organic, so it's gonna depend not everybody takes upon themselves to get the organic labeling. And some people have very, very high standards at the same time. Generally speaking, for the people who, you know, live in the city and don't have access to as much sometimes, I tell them to go to EWG.org, Environmental Working Group, take a look at the top foods that show that they have pesticide residue more frequently, if that is a personal concern to the individual and to look at the ones that are cleaner. And by cleaner, I mean with less pesticide residue or virtually none. And take a look at those lists and see. For most people, they come back to me and say, oh, I see they spray apples kind of a lot. So I think I'd like to buy organic for my apples. Personal choice. That's best for that individual. Other people tell me, I'm not worried about it. It's probably trace amounts, no big deal. So best is in the eyes of the beholder. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a um, a list out there. I have it that kind of tells you the things that you can buy that are you know you don't have to buy them organic, which will which will save you money. But I agree. I just I'm more into the organic products because I'm more into thinking about the pesticides and the herbicides and all the stuff that they use. You know, on yeah. the you know fruits. I and grow vegetables. organic so, gardens right there with you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like that's safety to me. I realize that the way that the soil is right now is that yes, there's not a big difference in the nutrient component, but I do feel safer with organic, knowing that they're not the extra pesticides uh, on there. But at the same time, just don't forget, someone can be making something to that level of organic or better, and it may not, in fact, be labeled. So get to learn your companies, learn your local sources and resources and who's making what and how they produce it. I have plenty of farms I deal with that say, hey, this is what we're doing. Our stuff's not labeled organic, but we don't use anything on it. Like but me. that's a I think that they have to be qualified and that's an extra cost too for them to have the to have that organic label on there. And I know it a is. lot of these a lot of these smaller businesses sometimes they just can't can't they handle can't afford that it. extra car. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And if we're doing it we trade among friends and families, et cetera, what we make from our garden to their family and vice versa, we may be doing a great job organically and none of our stuff is listed that way. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's just right. trading, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, so best, again, is going to depend. 
Yep, you're exactly right. I had a lot more questions for you, and I wish we I would have um, scheduled it for uh, a longer time, and maybe I can do that in the future because I know you have a another book. Can you kind of tell people what the the new book, the name of the new book, and give them your website? Sure, it's uh, me, myself, and food conquering the struggle against overweight and obesity without dieting. It came out at the end of last year, and they can go learn about all of it at foodsmart.org, F-O-O-D-S-M-A-R-T, foodsmart.org, or they can just Google me. And pick up the book for people out there listening. It's a great book. It's it's not even Food Smart. I call it the Food Bible. It's everything from A to Z if you want to know about livestock. I didn't even get to half of the question, so... I, I thank you for coming on, Diana, and I'm hoping that I can get you back on and discuss your, you know, your newer book in the future. You're quite welcome, Darren, and we will do it again. All right, thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. All right, bye bye. Okay, that's it's a wrap. The first show is in the bag. I encourage you, if you're out there listening, to uh, go to my fan page and join my fan page so I can update you. Um, next week, I'm going to have Dana Gore on the show. And Dana and I actually went to the same uh, fitness institute where we got our uh, certification for personal training. So she's coming on next week to talk about exercise safety. And I encourage you to uh, you know, listen to that show and get some tip on, tips on exercise. Again, go to my Facebook fan page. I'm the fat man. That's I am the fat man. You can find me on Facebook. You can also look at my blog where I give you health and wellness tips, and that is I'mTheFatMan.com. So, you know, Facebook and the web the web page or the blog is, is, is the same as well. And if you want to get in touch with me, if you have a specific question that you need to ask, um, my email is Darren at Fat, that's P-H-A-T dash man dot com. So thank you for listening and good night.